I think the most important thing is not to bring yourself down. Look in the mirror and remind yourself that you have come this far. You've got all these non-technical skills that you might not even be aware of. Go read about what non-technical skills you might have picked up during med school and, and your doctoring years and realize that those skills are in huge demand in the industry, whether it be in startups, scale-ups, or whether it be even as an advisory role for VCs, for example. Hello, my fellow doctors. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode, which focuses on what happens when we experience both professional and personal challenges in our lives. And how do we use those experiences to make decisions about our future careers? I mean, Medic Footprints was born out of several challenges, I can tell you, um, in my early medical career. And if it weren't for those challenges, I 100% would not be doing what I'm doing now with Medic Footprints, but also you know, working as an occupational health physician and impacting thousands to hopefully millions by the end of 2030 um, of doctors in pursuing careers that they can really make an impact in. So today's interview is with Dr. David Rawaf. He is a clinical excellence lead at Innovus, which is a fascinating med tech company, look it up, and a surgeon. And he has experienced numerous events, crises, you name it, through his career thus far that has helped shape him into the doctor that he is today and the leader that he is in the startup and healthcare world internationally. So listen to this conversation on this podcast, reflect that myself and if you want to reach out to David, know what you think. And I really hope it is of value to you in moving forward in your career, especially when things feel extremely difficult. Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Babas-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers, David. How are you today? I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because it is. I know it's going to be one of those conversations which people don't really or doctors don't really hear about that much we we don't tend to really share the depths of the challenges that we tend to go through ourselves and how we use or leverage the experience to move forward with our careers whether that's medical or non-medical um so I really appreciate the time that we've taken to share that with the community so thank you My pleasure. Um, for those of you who are listening straight watching David is or he's going to say a bit more but David currently works at Innovus 
which is an amazing doctor-led med tech company. He'll tell us a bit more about that. But you know, we're having this conversation really to understand more about how David has developed his career thus far as a clinician and as a leader in healthcare in general. So yeah, let's start with you. So I mean, because there's so much to cover, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start from you know you you graduated from medicine. Let's sort of take you back to F1 years. Tell us a bit more about you know what were the main challenges that you faced that made you think actually I'm looking for something a little bit different. Interesting. Um, thank you for having me, Abena. I, I really appreciate the invite, and um, uh, thank you for allowing me to talk about all this. I think my one of my one of my biggest challenges at the start of my career was even though um, you know I'd, I'd gone through med school, tried really hard in the last year to get you know some really good marks, um, and and did that. Uh, that SJT, the beloved SJT exam, unfortunately, as no matter how much I revised for it, that SJT let me down. I did really well at med school, thankfully, but not, not the SJT. And ended up being um, in a location that wasn't my first or second or perhaps third choice. Um, so it was a fair distance from home. I was commuting a lot. And um, I was also introduced to the um, complexities of the NHS, which um, did make me, um, I'll, I'll be honest, start to encourage me to look elsewhere. You know, the grass is always greener. Uh, I was young as well. And actually, at the time, due to having family connections, um, I was looking at taking my USMLEs and moving to the States to practice and do my training. At the time, it seemed like the right thing to do in terms of um, just looking at the amount of time it takes to train even though it's more intense out there um, and the pay is actually not as, as good as here in the early years of training. Um, but nonetheless, the, the time to completion of training is much shorter and the opportunities are much greater beyond. So um, studiously started um, taking my assemblies one by one. Um, hard work, isn't it? It was, yeah. Well, I'll be honest, it was um, really hard work. I was, I was lucky enough to have a, um, a solid friendship group that... Um, that you know, we essentially put our heads together and mm-hmm. dragged each other through the exam process, mm-hmm. um, especially discovering that my med school didn't teach me as much basic uh, medical science as I thought I'd mm-hmm. learned, um, even though I'd studied a biomedical science degree as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, the, the level of questioning on these exams are unreal. Um, and then obviously learning about all the different types of visa issues and red tape that was involved with the move. It was quite challenging, um, I've got to say. But nonetheless, I did actually commit to it fully, fully enough for me to finish my F1, gain my full um, uh, medical license. And then um, I didn't complete my F2. I actually designed um, a, a, uh, an F2 that was mainly a clinical fellowship um, in a specific type of surgery that I was um, really interested in, which was ACL um, knee reconstruction. And... So I was lucky enough to be doing that whilst studying. So um, I, was, I was essentially plowing on with that and um, really enjoying um, you know, my prospects. But un- unfortunately, I had a remarkable life experience. I had a pretty mm-hmm. nasty um, uh, uh, accident in my car and um, that changed everything for me. And I- I've got to say, even though I was looking at greener pastures and I was um, uh, you know, working hard towards that, you know, I had an unexpected life event that changed everything for me and those around me. And instead of dropping everything, giving up, instead of actually even just plowing on with the blinkers on and not having any situational awareness, I stopped. And I think 
that's probably one word of advice. If there's one thing to take away today is never make any decisions under duress. Um, you know, when things are getting hard, when things are, even if your current job is hard or if you have a massive life event, um, God forbid, is not to make any decisions then, is to stop, take mm. a breather, take a step back. So, and no, thank you so much for sharing. From what I understand, it was quite a serious car accident and you mentioned that you were you were hurt. So I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about what stopping looks like for you there's the physical stopping because you're in hospital but then there's the also mental you know there's the healing phase as well so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that was like for you what moving and what and then how that led to decisions you made about whether to move to the U.S. Yeah good question I think um, obviously I was injured my friend was injured we're both trying to go through that recovery um, period, uh, you know, the whole wider circle of friends and family were, you know, mentally injured from what happened. It was so traumatizing mm-hmm. for everyone involved. And I think stopping and taking um, stock of what was going on, I think was really important for myself and everyone around me. And it allowed me to really prioritize things at, at you know, before, um, before all of that, even before my F1, I was I was so um, dead set on a particular path and I hadn't, you know, I did have my blinkers on. I, I, I wasn't looking around uh, at other careers. I wasn't looking um, even at the UK as an option um, until this happened. And, and I actually realized that my family was, was here. My friends were here. Um, I actually did enjoy working at the NHS at the time, even though this was roughly around where the junior doctor strikes were happening. Um, I think they're just um stopped by that point so there wasn't uh, there was a level of kind of general um, disquiet amongst uh, my colleagues but nonetheless I really enjoyed what I was doing um and I was so lucky enough to after giving myself some time to heal um, both physically and mentally um you know and going through the right channels so you know um little things but like practicing gratitude or aiming for like a growth mindset you know focusing on the basics like eating sleeping and and exercising, um, speaking to the right people, that allowed me um, to 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 actually look for um, quite an amazing job. I, I managed to work at um, UCL as a as a clinical fellow um, in the specialty that I, I, I adored, um, and and that led and opened even more doors. and And actually, through that process, I, I discovered my love for surgery um, in the UK and applied to core surgery. And, and that whole process, um, you know, I, I do have, I do in, in some ways, you know, I guess the man above wants, um, certain things to happen to us, you know, and, and that can include tests. And I guess that test was there in my case for me to reevaluate and understand what was important to me and prioritize things that were, um, I guess that I didn't realize were important to me, like family and like location and like my friends and my social network. Mm. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the resources you used in that in that period of time to really help you see a lot of these things that are kind of right in front of you, if you used anything else. I mean, it sounds like you had quite a supportive network around you anyway. But um, like, for example, did you seek therapy, coaching, mentorship? Good question. Um, you're right. I, I was very lucky enough to have a great support network. They're all from um, a lot of my friends from um, university uh, that we we stayed in touch. And I've got to say, I owe my life to them because they were that amazing. Um, and even even during that time, having a great social network, I, I will be honest, it wasn't enough. Um, and you alluded to it, um, you know, seeking therapy, finding um, even a, a quiet place and, and practicing some meditation. Um, 
and investing in in myself like like i spoke about my the health like exercising and eating and sleeping um and even trying to rekindle old hobbies that medicine had you know made me lose because the the lack of time so just focusing on that um is what really helped um uh, me me get through all that and actually find a positive um you know every cloud has a silver lining and you've got to find a positive even in the worst things in life so that allowed me to move forwards really otherwise i i don't think i would have done Mm-hmm. Well, th- thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I understand that in moving forwards, you decided to apply for core surgical training. So what what was that exposed? I know that that you that life, you know, it throws us challenges constantly. Yeah. And it, it's more about how do we deal with those challenges? Um, and I understand that you you went through a bit of a, hurt, a few hurdles, yes. so to speak, uh, in that in that process. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about you know what happened and how how you managed to get through that? Because I mean, a lot a lot of doctors do actually face kind of similar challenges, you know, in in that way. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, obviously, my personal challenge that we talked about earlier um, is not necessarily something that everything everyone would go through, um, but certainly this is a story that I hear a lot, and I'm sure you've heard a lot as well, which is. Um, you know, applying to core surgery um, uh, clinically and um, the management stations clinically, I was great. I've got to be honest, I, I really practiced my, my hardest. But one of the one of the, I guess, variables that you can never really predict how it will go will be the portfolio station. And um, having been, um, you know, my career, although it was, you know, recently started to become very surgically heavy, um, I had worked in the WHO um, department at Imperial College for public health. Um, as part of that role, I had um, spent most of my medical school years and beyond editing and publishing and collaborating. And, and so I had quite a lot of my CV um, to talk about. And when it came to that first um, portfolio station, unfortunately, it was probably too much to bring to the table. And, um, you know, trying to be humble here, but um, and I really was trying to, to keep myself in check, but they just didn't believe any of it. And Rather than kicking up a fuss or anything, I just, um, you know, acknowledge the fact this might be a tough interview now. Um, I wasn't successful. Um, well, can I just ask you, why, why do you think they were in disbelief on that level? Because evidence is evidence yeah. at the end of the yeah, day. That's a good question. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you didn't have the chance to kind of really interrogate them, but no. <laughs> why, why, why do you think that perception came across? I, I mean, to this day, I actually, I tried to um, seek feedback on this. And unfortunately, apparently they hadn't written anything on their score sheets. But there was, um, there was a, uh, I guess there was a notion that perhaps I was um, too specialized in what I was doing and I was doing too much. And um, I am making an assumption here, but perhaps they thought that I wasn't fully committed to surgery as a result. You know, I had a lot of public health um, publications amongst the CV. I had done a lot of quips and, um, and audits uh, that weren't directly related to surgery. Um, a lot of my, um, I guess, extracurricular activities also weren't related to surgery, even though I had great numbers, even though I had published in, in surgery as well. Too extracurricular. <laughs> yes, basically. I think it was, you know, I think there is a sweet spot that's with these hilarious. things. Um, uh, what that sweet spot is, I, I just don't know. I'm not the recruiter, but Nonetheless, I think um, it was a learning experience for me. And actually coming to that second time round, I, I didn't, you know, give up. I, I in hindsight, I probably should have gone down the clinical fellow route. Um, but then what but, made you come back? 
that's you a good know, question I, I just continue where you you don't necessarily feel like you're valued for going the extra mile and beyond yeah. you know to really demonstrate your unique qualities and they're like nope you know you're not fitting in the box so nope which is you know not unusual for the NHS but yeah, moving past that so well yeah what was it that kind of brought you back to say I'm still going to give this a go this That's is still something question. I 100% want to do to this day I um I don't fully know I think it was um a mixture of me look I failed at something and I wanted to achieve it mm, so mm-hmm. there was this inner drive that was just like no I, I want to get this core surgery post I really and I want a London post more than anything you know close to home which is not easy to get. So I was just, I, it made me hungry. A lot of the times um, in my life where something pulls me back or, you know, a negative thing happens, I genuinely try and find a way of converting that energy into positivity or like more fuel for the fire is the way I put it. So um, that year, and I, instead of uh, lamenting over that fact, I actually found myself a slightly different job in a slightly different specialty, but nonetheless a complimentary one that would have been, been perfect for the application. Um, and I really enjoyed that job. It was really great fun. Um, and during that process, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to add anything more to my CV. I'm just going to focus on my job and focus on my love for surgery. And um, when it came to that second application, all I had to do was take stuff out of my portfolio. I didn't add a single thing. And I walked into that second portfolio station, the second, second time, um, second go, and they absolutely loved it. Um, and it, it was perfect because what, what I, instead of, I guess, instead of being, you know, coming across as being someone that knew it all or coming across on paper, I mean, you know, certainly I was very humble to them, um, face to face, but on paper, perhaps it might've been intimidating. Now it was much more simple and it was, um, it was much easier perhaps for them to make a connection with me and have a conversation about where I wanted my career to go. So and- less more in some ways. Yes. So you presented things to them that they were more likely to connect with, yeah. uh, lesser volume and more relevant to something they can actually mark. <laughs> that exactly. makes any sense. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't blame, I don't I blame it. the first guys for getting intimidated by that. I don't blame them at yeah. all. Actually, you know, it was a learning learning curve for me. And um and I've taken that uh that that on with me throughout my career you know is 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 never to bombard people who you want something from with too much information and I think um you know I've reflected on it and it was a fantastic journey for me yes it delayed my training by a year um but I never regret um whatever happens in my life you know I've delayed training in med school by many years in the past I've even taken sabbatical I've even taken sabbaticals um to work in students unions so um, you know, the time has never been that much of an issue for me. So I just spent that extra year just making the most of the situation rather than lamenting and, and ruining the fact that I applied and failed. Can I, can I, I mean, can I ask you, have you noticed that, you know, you came from biomedical sciences, is that correct? Yeah. Um, and you've had all these extra years and you've done all this extra stuff. How do you compare yourself to doctors who continue on that conveyor belt? Without any break. Yeah, without any break. Without any break. It's a good question. I mean, look, a lot of my colleagues that are the same age as me are consultants now. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, sometimes that's... I mean, the, the, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt. So there's there's the, okay, yes, obviously they got to the end point quicker. Yeah. But when I'm talking about holistically, oh, so holistically. The, yeah. the substance within that. So, I mean, you know that if you're going to train for a number of years, you're going to get a consult. It's going to happen, right? Yeah. But I'm talking about, you know, life experience, mental health um being able to contribute to various 
projects, institutions, organizations outside the NHS having the skills to be able to progress beyond the day-to-day clinical work. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking about that. So I'm I'm really interested to hear more about how you feel you compare to a doctor who has just gone through straight to consultancy. More, I mean, certainly it's more about the journey. Um, yeah, totally. For me, I've always made it about the journey um, with anything in life, whether it's learning an instrument or learning, um, you know, a, a play or, or a comedy sketch show or something that I used to get involved in. I used to try and get involved in as much as possible. Just, I think there's a there's an um, element of me wanting just to keep discovering things. So, um, you know, to go back to my biomed years, uh, I'd realised that I was in biomed, biomed, biomedical science and I really wanted to study medicine, but instead of just focusing um, on the negative aspects of that, I decided to get involved with every society possible, practically. Um, And that's what opened up doors to work in the Students' Union. Um, And we did so many great things back then um, uh, in the Students' Union, like converting the Students' Union charity and whatnot. And that journey had, had, I guess, um, moulded me into a far more rounded person. Um, I noticed when compared to similar doctors on the wards um look they've just gone through straight from school straight straight through to med school straight into f1 they'd never worked any other jobs um they'd never you know they, they were still quite young on the inside um and on the outside i was older than them obviously um but but you know you, you could tell when they're having conversations with patients and um not being able to necessarily relate to certain issues that those patients have had um whilst i I would, I'd find that easier because I'd had more life experiences. And um, as a result, uh, it definitely made me a, a more rounded, well-rounded doctor. I would be able to get the right information from my patients much more easily because I could build a rapport with them quicker because I had more life experiences dealing with more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, whilst obviously that delayed my career, it also made me a, a fantastic doctor uh, what does delay your career look like though i challenge yeah. that i challenge you young sir that's a good question <laughs> i mean i guess not delaying my career then because you know this is part yeah. of your career this is part of your yeah, life it is why why um, why are we in this mindset that you know it has to be a rush to get to in inverted commas the top yeah. like why does it have to be done in a certain time frame what's going to happen and it's not <laughs> I this, think is, this is just your career that you have created that works for you or for yourself considering all the other life stuff that goes on around it and everyone has different life stuff yeah Do you know what I mean I think I think we've been programmed from the start of med school even mm. before med school I think uh, the majority of uh, you know doctors I know had family members that were doctors as well so maybe they were programmed even before med school to think that this is the route and this is the path that you must follow and um, there's no time for breaks, you know, even, even each application um, stage, we have to explain practically every day that we weren't working. Um, you know, if we took a month off or whatever, mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to explain those absences. Um, you know, I think even when you're on Oriel and you're trying to add in all the jobs, if there's any gaps, you have to explain yourself, you know? Different so it, mindset. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, look, I mean, it's like the schooling system. And there is this analogy that, that floats around, um, which is that, it's like asking like elephants and monkeys and, and mice to all climb the same tree, right? They can all climb it in their own ways. Even the elephant can't climb it, but it can knock it down. And <laughs> at, at, the, at the end Very of the day, I, I like to consider myself the elephant maybe, like, uh, you know, being disruptive as I am. Um, I think... There's more than one path. Exactly. It's about finding the right one for you. That's it. 
think that summarizes the message that we share to doctors pretty much every day. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, but I really want to explore more about startup life. So how yeah. so how your experiences so far has shaped you into what you're doing today. So tell us first, tell us a bit more about your work with Innovus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very multifaceted dynamic role. Um, clinical excellence lead um, is, well, I guess there's four aspects to the role. There's a lot of academia, a lot of publishing, a lot of presenting at international conferences. Um, there's a lot of um, management leadership um, uh, as well, part of the scaling up and, and, and hiring and bringing in interns and managing, um, I guess, the, the different aspects of the company. So um, ensuring the engineers can understand the clinical you know, talk, essentially, and vice versa. Um, there's a lot of marketing involved, and that involves traveling to conferences, being there and actually you know, understanding sales. So um, luckily enough, I had a sales job when I was in my teenage years. So um, that does help, um, even though I'm not paid to know how much things cost, you know, you still must understand how to sell yourself as well as um, uh, whatever product the company is creating. And um, I guess the last um, aspect is the R&D um, and being able to work with um, at, at the high level with the engineers, whether it be software or hardware engineers, um, uh, and also um, discussing and liaising with consortiums of um, consultants or key, key opinion, opinion leaders um, in the field so that you're able to create the product for the market. Um, Great job, David. How did you get that job? Yeah, good question. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of the Clinical Entrepreneurship Program, I'm sure. Oh, I may have heard of it. May have heard of it. <laughs> it's um, part of it. That's cohort and everything. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great program. And I was lucky enough to be involved with it. Mm. And on the early stages, I, I came across um, Elliot Street, who's my CEO. He's a fantastic um, guy. He's actually a doctor himself, even though he... Um, he started the company during med school, um, so um, he would have been working on that earlier on his, in his career. But nonetheless, it's a clinician-led company. So um, he, we, we understood each other. I think it was just a serendipitous moment where I saw the job advert. I didn't think I would get it, but I thought I'd put it in anyway. And I'd, I'd already um, applied to a few other jobs at the time. And so I had some choices. But I would say it was just a, a stroke of luck that we'd met and that our, uh, our thoughts aligned and um, our mission and our goals aligned as well. Core values are very similar. It was, um, it was a really great, um, I guess, collaboration that's now come out of it. And we've, we've even in the last year, have, have done so many amazing things, um, not just for Innovus, but for the surgical training sphere in general, internationally, that I feel so fulfilled um, having made this jump. And, I didn't make it, you know, I didn't go from cold turkey medicine into this. I did do less than full time. And interestingly enough, months. David, so going back to the beginning of, of your, I say the beginning of your journey, but where we started this conversation, yes. you were applying to work in the US. Yeah. Right. To work in the US. And now what are you doing? I'm working in the US. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And I didn't, and I don't even need to, not in a residency program. I don't need to even um, risk myself. You don't, you didn't. It's fantastic. Honestly. What are your thoughts about that? It's essentially gone full circle, right? In a way, yeah. Uh, now that, that you've highlighted it, I think genuinely my, my experience having taken the exams, gone to all that effort and expense of taking observerships and clerkships in the States during med school and, and beyond. I understand the US market so well understand how training is out there what the gaps are um, you know what's needed what the market wants 
um, and how it's changed over time. So this is not something that obviously I looked at for a year. I actually went into it and I'd say, you know, committed for the best part of a decade. So now that I'm working there, not necessarily in a clinical role, but in more of an educator, more of a, um, uh, an industry uh, member as well, it's, it's, been a, it's been a really quite fantastic full circle, as you say, um, and I'm learning even more um, every time I go out there, but it, it does help a lot in understanding the system and it feels familiar and it feels friendly. Um, and I guess maybe that's why we're doing so well out there, but um, who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I I would love to hear your advice (laughs) for doctors who have faced significant challenges in their careers, because, you know, many doctors that actually most of us, we're looking at moving, changing careers. There are lots of push factors involved. And, And some of that is to do with some of the personal challenges at work, outside of work that we're facing. So I'd love to hear what take home advice can you offer doctors who are in the midst of that storm where there doesn't seem to be a way out or doesn't seem to be an end to it or even a future because there are so many times where you're like actually I'm just unemployable I'm just never gonna be able to do anything I'm useless to society so what would you say to those doctors and uh yeah what advice would you give them moving forward no I've I've been there um not just with my personal stuff but also after being redeployed for 10 months and being so lost and unwell Mm. as well after that Mm. mentally and physically. I think the most important thing is not to bring yourself down. Look in the mirror and remind yourself that you have come this far. You've got all these non-technical skills that you might not even be aware of. Go and read about what what non-technical skills you might have picked up during med school and, and your doctoring years and realize that those skills are in huge demand in the industry, whether it be in startups, uh, scale-ups, or whether it be even as an advisory role for VCs, for example. They need people that are from the front line. And ironically, you know, sometimes you think, oh, no, I've got to get to the end and I've got a CCT before I, um, you know, even think about stepping foot in the industry. Well, actually, ironically enough, the later and the further you are down the line in training, in a way, the less or the more removed you are from the front line. And your experiences are what counts. The reason why we get the juniors to do the quips and the audits is because firstly, they are the legs. Secondly, they're the ones working on the front line. And as a result, they have most, they have the most experience of what it's like on the front line. If a VC or a startup is trying to create a product that's going to change, directly affect the front line, then who best to ask? Yeah. Then, it's the then most up-to-date current insights and knowledge, right? Exactly. The people that are on the day-to-day seeing what's coming through the door today. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and the most important thing is not to, not to give up, you know, on either career. I, I juggled both for um, over six months. Um, I was lucky enough to work for a trust that were fantastic with that, by the way. Um, so not every trust is like that. But nonetheless, you can always work um, whatever is you need with your supervisors and whatnot. Um, have a look at building a portfolio career. If you're not, if you're too scared to make that jump, if you're too scared to completely leave, which I completely understand. And also, you know, there is an element of self-responsibility you may have um, to the to your patients and to the public. But on that note, you know, sometimes there is an article that I can write or there is a, um, a, a, a I guess, a, a larger submission that might have a greater impact than just seeing five or 10 patients a day, which you might find more rewarding than even the clinical work. Um, or vice versa. I mean, everyone is unique. And I think that's the key take home here is that whatever's happened in my career or anyone else's career on this podcast is unique to them. But nonetheless, 
we've got to learn from everyone. We've got to learn from each other. And um, certainly in my case, I've had so many hurdles, um, yet I've just kept going. I think that's the main thing is to, you know, not just keep going blindly, pick yourself up immediately after any, any down, um, you know, any negative experiences, but rather to pause and reflect and take some time for yourself, heal yourself before you make decisions. I think that's the most important thing. And is not, is not to give up. You know, if you think that you can't, you're daydreaming about the industry, but you think you can't make that jump, you know, whether it be because you're worried about what your parents think or worried about what your colleagues are going to think or worried about what you're going to think or, or, or what your older self is going to think. You've just got to, I guess, um, you know, drown out the noise and focus on what's right for you. Take a step back, look at your core values and decide how you can mold your career to suit. You know, one thing that I've noticed the most since making the jump to full-time industry um, at the moment is that I've allowed myself to focus on my quality of life. And that's really helped me. And actually, I would say it's helping me process a lot of the things that have happened in the past, whether it be COVID and deployment or the things that happened in my career. And I would say I'm still healing even to this day. I mean, you, you know, we all are in, in, a, in essence still healing and recovering from COVID. And I'm sure many of you have been redeployed and gone through hell, what, what we can literally describe as hell. And we've come out the other side and now suddenly rotors are really hard and um, training's hard to get into and the hospitals are getting completely over, overwhelmed by patients. We've just got to say, look, we can, we've got to keep going. Um, you've got to look after yourself, otherwise you can't look after your patients. And don't feel afraid um, to, to you know, look at other things that can help you fulfill you and your career. Brilliant. Well, David, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences your journey thus far and actually giving a lot of us a lot of doctors hope for really navigating through some of those really challenging times I mean I've been through a whole range of different things in my career you know and and I'm still here smiling still flying the flag still a a practicing clinician you know developing a career that really works for me that I genuinely genuinely love and I, I am so glad that I, I just kept going. As you've just described, it's, it sounds really simple, but it is just keep going and you will be rewarded in the day-to-day. It's not about the outcomes. It's totally the journey. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, and just if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way of doing that? Yes, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Drop me a message and uh, I'll find some time. Brilliant. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. Take care big wow to that conversation um i was actually speechless afterwards just because yeah it you know it actually reminds me of my own experiences which i will share with you at some point in time that led up to the development of medic footprints but i hope you found that of value to you and your journey remember feel free to join our mailing list uh which is medicfootprints.org join our mission join our facebook group email us to send us your thoughts at team at medicfootprints.org but most importantly you know just join our mission and we just we want to make sure that you are getting the best from the content that we provide and we are serving you so your feedback is essential to us and we really value the time that you've taken to listen and read and contribute and engage to everything that we put out so thank you I hope to catch you in our next episode.